0: Welcome to Rainbow Soul, an explorative discussion about spirituality beyond mainstream religions. Hollis Taylor, author, psychic, astrologer, and alchemical mage, brings their non-binary perspective together with fellow drag king and trans man, LaCrosse Ortiz, a Jewish Taino with spiritual background of exploration that has led him. an atheist perspective. Join these guys as they explore deep and difficult topics, all related to spirituality, offering a queer perspective, an exploration of interesting topics, and engaging guests to help explore conversations for the Rainbow Soul. Hello,
1: everybody. Welcome. I'm so glad you're here. I am thrilled and happy that you came to watch this Rainbow Soul this week. And the one thing that I have to say is that unfortunately, our buddy LaCrosse is not here this week, but don't worry, he'll be back next week when we talk about Tarot. So, I do want to say, though, that I have a very special co-host, my favorite co-host ever. Actually, she is definitely LGBTQ, so she's my partner, and her name is Brighthawk, and she is a storyteller.
0: (laughs) Tell us who you are, Brighthawk. Hi, everybody. I'm delighted to join Rainbow Soul again. It's good to be here. I'm Brighthawk, and I'm a storyteller. I'm a musician. Um, We're going to be talking about... Egyptian mysteries and uh, I'm really excited about that. It's touched my life in a very interesting way for many years. So we'll get into that in a little bit and uh, it's good to be here. You can always find more about me, my music, my storytelling, my podcast at brighthawkproductions.com and I'm delighted. Thanks for having me.
1: Well, I am excited to have you with us today. And let me just say that I am excited about this because so many people um, ask about Egyptian pantheon and things like that. Look, Eric has already joined us. Welcome, Eric. I'm glad you're here. Hi, Eric. And um, I just want to say that, like, the Egyptian thing, I I didn't really know what to make of it, honestly. Um, The funny thing that happened to me was that I was already kind of into the pagan thing, but I didn't really get the whole gods and goddesses thing. I was more into, like, nature and the elements and things like that. And then my son, I'm homeschooling him, right? And he's like, I want to learn. I, I, I do, like, a spiritual class. I'm like, okay, well, learn, teach, learn something that's spiritual. And he's like, okay, I want to learn about Egyptian. I want to read the Book of the Dead. I'm like, oh my God! I don't even know! How do I teach my 12-year-old? I haven't even read the Book of the Dead. I didn't even know. So I actually found the Book of the Dead and, uh, and found some friends that knew about it and brought them in, and that's what he did. He studied it for, like, an entire year. And it seemed to really open him up. Um, and he even made an altar. And I was like, wow, okay, well, if that's what works for him. And then later, when I was an adult and I got to travel without my son, um, I was in the desert in Las Vegas. And I I didn't really know what the Sekmet Temple thing was, but um, they were going to take me to it. And um, so I was like, okay, well, we can okay, you know, I, you know, got it. I don't even know who segment is. And so <laughs> I asked and people told me, and then, uh, I visited it during a spiritual, um, alchemical experience just outside called Bone Dance with the Vegas Vortex. And during that, you can take prayer time. I like to take personal prayer time during these things. And I sat with Segment. um, and I got that she was like this divine energy that could walk you through the darkness in a way. And in a way, I kind of identify with that because I've been through some pretty dark places, some dark times. And I feel like I help people sometimes with that. So um, I wasn't afraid of it or scared of it, uh, but I was inspired So, I totally agree with you, Eric. Um, We should totally bring back the old gods of the Egyptian pantheon (laughs) temples in the modern times. Well, that's kind of what we're going to do tonight, Eric. So, I hope you stick around to see us do that. And welcome, Terry. I'm glad you're here. So, good to see you. Welcome, Cricket. And um, so, Brighthawk, I know you have a special story. I like hearing your story about the first time when you were in Africa.
0: Well... Okay, so it actually goes back to, um, so one of my first careers, uh, after I graduated from college, I was in California and I started my career in Hollywood, in the film business, in the entertainment industry. And, um, you know, it was a special time for me, especially as I was, you know, getting started in my career, but I was also feeling very spiritually stirred. And uh, curious, very curious. I didn't know about paganism yet, per se, but I definitely had, you know, moved past my Catholic upbringing. And um, and so my friends and I would exchange uh, audio tapes, audio cassette tapes. Yes, we're dating me that much back in the last century. <laughs> and. I would give her meditation tapes and she would give me tapes. And we, oh, hey, check this out. And uh, so we were exchanging different cool color meditations and chakras and, you know, awakening. And so my friend lived in San Francisco and she happened to be the prima ballerina for the San Francisco Ballet Company. And she had an injury. And so she was really working on her healing at so many levels so she and I would get into these deep spiritual conversations. So one day she comes to my de- office and she sits down next to my desk and she puts cassette tapes on my desk and says, check these meditations out. I've been doing these workshops with this lady named Nikki in San Francisco. I was like, oh, okay. And I don't even know what the names on the tapes mean. Things like Hathor Journey and, uh, and, uh, There could have been a journey with Thoth and Sekhmet might have been mentioned. There's these names I have no idea, but I really like Nikki's voice. and I like the music. And within a year of that experience of receiving the tapes, I was on my way to Africa. And I am in the Kalahari Desert in Botswana. And I've got my little Walkman audio cassette tapes. And I'm popping Nikki, Nikki Scully, by the way, is who I'm talking about, Nikki Scully, who, you know, she's written many, many, many books and is now, I'm always honored to call her a dear friend. And, you know, she was a mentor and she's just an amazing person, literally wrote the book on segmet and alchemy and, and you know, we'll hear more about Nikki, I'm sure. Anyway, here I am in Africa having a really, a variety of very intense experiences and how did I ground myself but listening to these tapes? And so I'm going on these meditation journeys and opening myself up into these different energies. But you're not supposed to give workshop audio cassettes without context. You you don't give away the material, you know, and I'm here. I'm, I have the material and I don't have any reference. And so I, for years, was listening to these cassette tapes and now I'm, Fast forward, and I'm in a fire circle, alchemical fire circle uh, festival, and we're all the the players are getting together and working out the, the main ritual, and in comes Nikki Scully. And she needs some musicians who can help. Uh, she's going to do Hathor's Journey, and I'm like, oh, I know that one! And everybody's looking at me like, you know this? Where did, how What? And it was, you know, and we're off and running, doing ritual and in an energy that was new to all of us, but totally intriguing. Like, why is this so juicy? Why is this so, I didn't know anything about Egypt or the the, the pantheon of, of stuff is what it always felt like to me. And then, of course, as Nikki and I became friends, she explained a great deal and her books and material explained a great deal. And, of course, I play music for her while she would do some of her journeys or workshops or what have you. And so I learned a lot over the years. But the part that I think that I want to share that I would convey about why this conversation tonight, why this topic, and it's because I think it's so deep. It's so vast and it has, there is something there. And I think it's a very personal there for every person that it has a, it does something. It taps on us in a certain way. And, and so I think it's going to be an amazing conversation.
1: Well, that's exactly what Eric Harrison just said. Sometimes though, that's the best way to just experience yourself and find your path within it.
0: Exactly. So
1: I totally, we totally agree with you, Eric. (laughs) And look, Eric knows exactly what you're talking about with cassette tapes. <laughs> when the little bit's been pulled out and you need a pencil, right? right? Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. And um, welcome, Robert. We're glad you're here. I just want everybody to be seen and welcome. So here's the interesting thing. is I said, well, I would, you know, I would love to have a person to come and talk to us. Now I don't know any DLBTQ people, but I do know an ally. And I was and everybody I've ever met that is pagan or into Egyptian pantheon, I think everyone is an ally. Like I rarely meet someone that's not. I know that they're out there, but I never meet them. So <laughs> maybe it's my good luck. So um I knew this excellent person, Indigo. And Indigo was Zara Indigo. And the thing about Indigo is that I appreciated her gentleness and her, like, wow, like, she really seen and heard things. So that's why I decided to have her on as an ally. And because I don't think she would ever intentionally disclude someone because they were LGBTQIA at all, ever. Um, And so... That's why I decided to have this person on. And if you do know an LGBTQIA person, LGBTQIA, I like to say I and A because they mean intersex and asexual. Um, so if you do know a person, please send them my way. i would be happy to have a conversation with them. But in the meantime, I knew Indigo. And I'll tell you my favorite thing was listening to her stories about going to Egypt. <laughs> I was yeah. like, wow, and then learning stuff. So, we're going to bring out Indigo now and let's see here.
0: Welcome Indigo. Yay.
1: Thank you so much for coming on Rainbow Soul to talk oh. about this dear
2: amazing topic. Oh, my honor. Thank you for having me. Tell us who tell us about who you are and what you do in the world. Who am I? I'm still trying to figure that out. <laughs> every day is a new day. I'm learning new things about who I am and why I'm here, and uh, and so I I don't think it's something ever that I'm going to know all of, right? Because it's every day is something new. Um, I used to think, you know, why do we call ourselves grown-ups? Like grown-up, that's like finished, grown, done, finished. And so I'm like, I'm going to be a growing up. I can be a growing up as long as I need to be a growing up. So I'm I'm still growing. And I think that's a beautiful thing to keep growing. So what am I? Who am I? I am a human on this planet Earth. And I'm super grateful for that. And this opportunity to share, um, to be present, to be a sacred witness to people's unfolding Um, whoever they are, wherever they come from, you know, however it is for them that each of us is an unfolding being on this planet, and so I help people find their way, I guide them, I help facilitate their healing. I don't call myself a healer because I feel like my role is to help people access their own innate healer within rather than waving a wand, oh, you're healed. Instead, I want to help guide them through that process. I lead tours in Egypt, although that's been a little on hold in this crazy world we've been in in the last year and some months, um, but I've led 17 journeys over there with hundreds of people, and um, I've been over there maybe two and a half years of my life at this point, and it's a very interesting experience to have gained such a deep um understanding of egypt and even with that 17 times in the two and some years you know there's so much about egypt that's still buried under the sand there's so much assumption about what it is by so many people so many people um have their ideas of what it is so what i think it is may not be the same as whatever someone else thinks it is so um that's the gist of me yeah egypt healing. I do other things to do. I'm an artist. I love to paint. Um, I have two sons, two amazing sons uh, who are 23 and 14. So I'm still in that active mama mode. And uh, yeah, I'm excited to talk about Egypt with you today. I just, I love talking about Egypt. So thank you again for having me here.
1: Well, thanks for being here. Look, Eric is saying ever since i was a small child i always had a deep fascination with egypt that entire pantheon. Eric i can kind of identify with that and and it was weird to see my son that but to see my son come that way but for me it was like ooh i'd like to go to the pyramids and then i would w- i'm a documentary watcher i always have been so when i was young i would watch these little documentaries about egypt be like oh and sort of like I felt like each time I would watch one, that it was like someone kind of whacking me upside the head with a bunch of information that I didn't know before, and um, it's so <laughs>
0: I was like, oh,
1: oh, and so I think that um, I think that one of the things that really gets fascinating, I think, for Egypt, for for people interested in Egyptian uh, things, is that first of all. You know, where did it come from? Like, do we know? How old is it? And yeah, there's these pyramid some people all they know is that there's some pyramids and a sphinx or something out in the middle of the desert, right? But I think there's probably more to
2: it than that, right, Indigo? There's a little bit more than that, for sure. You know, like I want to paint a picture for you. So imagine long 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 ago that right now where the Sahara desert is and where the nile runs through that was an ocean right so let's go back that far and that ocean would wash up against a, a part of the country now that's in the let me get my spatial orientation here it's in the um southwest of the country they call it gilf kabir and the water would wash up and there were people that lived there and they'd paint on the on the wa- rock walls right so it's that old so old and then eventually that ocean dissipated and the sea life that swam there you know fell to the to the ground and the sand that is now the sahara was the bottom of that ocean and and now there's this nile that moves through and then peoples began to settle and find agriculture and grow things right and so then time goes forward and they begin to learn about the stars and they begin to learn about math and how to put stones together and just to, to honor the sacred so the the name of the egyptian pantheon that they were called were called netaru the netaru so multiple netaru many netaru or one netter and what I love about this word, netaru, is over time, it became our word for nature, right? So the netaru were the, the natural beings of the world. So the, the people, the human beings at that time, would see the ibis bird in the reeds, right, with his contemplativeness and his waiting and his wise ways. And he became Thoth the god of wisdom, right? They would see the lioness, Sekhmet, who you talked about a little while ago, and they would see her prowling through the deserts and, and with that fierceness, right? But they'd also see the compassion with which she would take care of her cubs, Right. And she became Sekhmet. And they would see the the lotus floating in the um the waters, the still waters. And they would notice how that lotus came from a tiny little seed. And that seed would root into this mud, right? This the, the yuck of the bottom of this still water and it would reach up towards the light. And that became Nefertem, the enlightened one. And so the natural world are the Neteru. The Neteru are the natural world. And we are part of the natural world, right? We're no different. And you'll see these gods and goddesses, the deities. I prefer to call them the deities, right? Because it, it represents them all. Um, that are human in one part of them and then an animal being in the other part, these hybrids. I believe it wasn't that there was a man with an ibis head walking around or a woman with a, a lion head walking around or any combination thereof. I believe it's because they recognized that the natural world lived within us. The, elements of the world the the mm, archetypes i'll use this word archetype which is like the that qualities aspects of the natural world lived within us too and so that's the netaru right the netaru is the nature and uh and it's really quite lovely i love that about about egypt and there are so many ways that the netaru express themselves does that make sense
1: Totally. That's beautiful. And I'm so glad that you brought up that word archetype because it brings me back to like, sometimes I forget that when people come from a very Christian perspective, um, they sometimes, and you know, they're trying to explore other, other paths, Mm -hmm. but they think that I actually think that the God exists like in a personhood where it's more like, it's more like a, an archetype that helps us understand ourselves. So can we talk a little bit about, like, what does it mean to be a deity? What does that mean to be a deity? In, 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 and I know it means something different for all of us, because, like, for me, it's something that we create in our minds, including Jesus. Um, Jesus was a guy that was here in the past. And he had some good messages, along with the Buddha and some other cool guys. Um, And that, in our minds, we try to pull on some parts of them that can help us be better people somehow. Whatever that might look like for each one of us. And I think that's probably different for all of us. And so some people are like, do you actually believe there's, like, this Sekhmet? And I'm like, well, I think a whole bunch of people believe in Sekhmet. And so then, therefore, as a collective energy, there is kind of an energy of Sekhmet that you can pull from that can help you in your life. And that's a deity. And that goes for Greek deities and most of them. And I think all of us have a different opinion of what a deity is. So, you know, either one of you can go on that. I'll let you go.
2: Well, I think you touched on it really well, like. For me the deities aren't this external thing right that I'm praying to this goddess that had a lion head right it's she she isn't an external aspect she's an internal aspect of all of us regardless of where we are on the spectrum of gender fluidity that we all have all of these aspects in us right and what she represents whether she's a she or not is is this fierce compassion that's what she represents. She was um, the feminine face of the sun. And so Ray was the sun, and she was that feminine aspect of him. And so the he, she was really one, just shared in different ways. And she was fierce. Like her role in the world is to protect truth. Truth is called Ma'at, and Ma'at is personified as a goddess. Uh, but also personified just as pure concept, right? And Sekhmet's role in the world is to protect truth, to be a guardian of ma'at. And the stories say that um, the people, the humans at the time, were they'd forgotten ma'at, they'd forgotten truth. And... Ray's looking down upon his land, and he's seeing the people are not being very good humans. His children had forgotten the truth. And so he asked oh. Met to go down and help them remember. Well, she got down here, and she got really enraged. She was like, I can't. I mean, I." she got... Bloodlust, rage and she started ripping and doing all this nasty kind of horrific stuff and they're like oh my goodness he's like that's not what i meant you're supposed to help them remember not not tear them apart um but then they calmed her down they they gave her a brew and she remembered her heart and in that remembering of her heart then she went and helped heal and helped the people remember help to remember truth right and so we all have that fierceness inside of us, right? And then I get really angry sometimes. I have to like take a breath, right? And calm that fierce, ferocious lion inside of me. And then I can attend to something more, more peacefully. But we have that in us. And like Thoth, he's this god of wisdom. We all have that wide part of us, right? Some people call it a shoulder angel. I've heard people say that before. That part is like, you know, should you be doing that? That'd be such a good idea. That's that part of me that's Thoth, right? Um, the Nefertem I spoke about earlier, the, the lotus. I actually have a picture of a lotus here, so you can see a blue lotus from Egypt. So that's a that's lotus, right?
3: I did. And wow. so go down into
2: the mud and then, ah, this awakening happens, right? We all have that ability in us. To, it's the, that moment of insight where we're like, oh, that's right. Or, you know, we all have that in us. So the deities are aspects of ourselves, of our sacred nature. Mm-hmm. That's what the deities are for me. Well
0: mm-hmm. said. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would definitely... Um piggyback on that because that's what i was thinking about earlier when i was thinking about this conversation at this time what's important and and how everyone can approach this conversation from a variety of angles but what it all came back to me back down to was that it's personal yeah. it's a personal relationship and i love the way you've described nature and the nef, nef- nefederu
2: nefederu Nediru,
0: yeah. I yeah, see. It's a whole other language, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that's really beautiful. And um, there were so many uh, moments that I had that uh, I'm trying to think of one that would be a good example. Uh, I, thought is a great example. Experiences that I would have wouldn't understand. And then later I'd bring it to Nikki and be like, so. A lot of times when I'm totally in my jam and I'm in the flow, there's this presence right next to me. And if I keep my eyes closed, I can totally feel them. But when I look over, there's no one actually standing next to me, but there is definitely someone standing next to me. And she's like, mm hmm, mm hmm, mm hmm. And <laughs> no. mm-hmm. starts to explain the gifts of thought, the gifts of, uh, of, of, the shapeshifter—that thought could shapeshift in a variety of ways—and that thought invites engagement and playfulness. And there were all these little things that I was like, "Oh, wow!" <laughs> that you know, little fireworks were going off for me in my little uh, experience of—you don't need to know anything. You don't have to have read the books or gone to the workshop have your own personal experience. It's your own personal experience. And so do i have it correct that Sekmet's father is Ra? Yeah, they
2: say. Yeah, they say. I you know, they say so many things in the in the yeah. deep and long history of Egypt, right? And what epoch, what what dynasty, what what time you're talking about, you might get another View of it, right? Um, Egyptologists in the current world are you talking to, and what do they say? So, there are many stories, and some of the stories contradict themselves, but we're looking at, you know, conservatively five to seven thousand years. I think more realistically, like 30,000 years of time. And so, when you look at that much time, there's a lot of layering and a lot of overlapping and shifting. So yeah
1: yeah wow that's fascinating and um I just want to welcome Genevieve from the WLFE family welcome Genevieve Hi. and I know Genevieve is probably very interested in this topic but Yve is a regular watcher and they were just saying that Thoth is one of my favorite deities and is particularly mm-hmm. interesting as he was known for writing in law so has resonated with my current and em- future vocations. So I'm guessing uh, they do something about writing in law, (laughs) which is awesome. I didn't even know that about Thoth. I learned something every day. You
2: know what they say about Thoth? One of the things that's said about him is that he came through from the time before, right? So there's this time before this universe existed and he came through whatever that portal was into this current iteration of the cosmos And he brought with him the academics, writing, astrology or astronomy, same thing in the ancient days, um, mathematics, sciences. And in fact, there's a place that's dedicated to him. Each of the gods and the deities have their resident home in Egypt. And his was called Kemenu. And this was a, la- a a center for learning where people would come from all over. So the scribes would come to learn to scribe. The, the star readers would come to learn the stars, etc. You know, the, the builders would come to learn how to do ge- geometry so they knew how to build those pyramids, right? And, um, and so this place is of thought, and it was where they came to learn. In fact, we have this theorem nowadays called the Pythagorean theorem, right? And... Pythagorean theorem is a mathematical equation that comes from a guy named Pythagoras, and he came from another country. He was an Egyptian, but he came to Egypt because he had this deep desire to learn. He was a seeker. I want to learn. And so he would go to a temple and they'd say, no, no, you are not. No, no, go away. And then he'd go to another temple and say, no, no, go away. And so he traveled the land seeking, please, somebody teach me. I want to learn. And no one would. And so then somehow he found himself in front of the pharaoh at the time. And he explained, I just want to learn. So the pharaoh got out a piece of papyrus and a quill and wrote like, you know, I give permission for this guy to learn or whatever he put on that papyrus and sent him off to Kemenu. And he learned math, arithmetic, equations there. And he went back up to his country and I think it was Greece. I think that's right. Don't quote me on that. Um, I should know that. But anyway. Uh, and he started his own mystery school. And to today we have the Pythagorean theorem, which is a thing because of Kemenu, because of Thoth. So anyway, I think that's fascinating about Thoth, that he is, he's, he's like the original wise guy, you know, like, totally he's, he's the original wise guy.
0: It's so <laughs> interwoven in so many things, whether people recognize it or not. We, we were in front of a medical building. I looked up and there's the staff of Hermes, Thoth and Hermes, if you didn't know, Thoth is our Egyptian name. Hermes is the name the Greeks gave him. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there, you know, there it is. And I'm sitting there looking at all the symbols <laughs> and, and realizing, you know, you know, it's all over the AMA. It's, it's, you know, it's it's part of who we are as human beings on the planet today. And it's kind of mind-blowing when you think how far that string goes back. All the
2: way back. All the way back. And if it goes all the way back to the before the time, right? Before. Before cosmos like that's pretty far back right so the caduceus the symbol you're talking about its name is caduceus mm-hmm. and it's a really cool symbol it, it is a staff and on top of the staff there's an orb there's two wings that come out and then there's a snake that goes up right and so what this symbol really represents is this union between earth and sky right? That uprightness that we all have, we all have to get up in the morning, at least we, you know, I I have to get up in the morning, I don't want to some days, but anyway, that uprightness, right, between earth and sky, and the snake is like that transformational aspect, right? One moment transforms into the next. You know, one day transforms into something else. One way of being transforms into another way. Um, Unhealth transforms into health, right? That's that transformative aspect of life. The wings are that part that allows us to fly. It allows us to to take flight and, and see things from a different perspective than we can when we're just stuck on the ground. And then that orb is like, you know, do I call it like a crystal ball? I look into my crystal ball. What do I see? But it's it's that part. Another way to look at it is the the staff is our spine, and the orb is a place in our brain that's called the pineal gland. And the pineal gland is where we have vision from. It's our inner sight comes from that place in, inside of us. So I love the Caduceus because it contains this really beautiful um, qualities. That we all, have, again, that it's in all of us. It's in all of us. We all have wings. Whether you know it or not, you got wings. Right? Real. You got wings. And and we just need to learn how to fly. I've been feeling that lately. I've been feeling like a little tiny bird out at the edge of a branch. And I'm like... <gasps> i need to fly oh gosh will my wings work i don't know <laughs> and i have to jump but I'm, I'm a little scared but i'm 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 i think i'm ready i think i'm ready to jump and i hope that i can flip my wings out and and they'll they'll carry me <laughs> so yeah anyway the caduceus is a super cool symbol and it's his it comes from thoth and it comes from that wisdom that he carries that comes all the way through to the medicine of today
1: Yeah, the caduceus is uh, such an interesting symbol to me. The first time I ever really, like, took it in was when I was in nursing training. Um, They actually use the symbol um, and tell you a little bit of history about it, very little. Um, I've gotten way more history later as an adult, but, um, you know, I was, like, 16, 17 years old. And they make you take this oath if you decide to be a nurse. To never hurt or do anything to hurt your patients is essentially what the oath is. Um, And it it apparently, even the oath itself has a history to it. And and I was, even for me, it was, when I took the oath, I was like, I don't, it, it made me question my path at 17. You know, it really made me question my path. And I did question my path. And I actually ended up walking away from traditional nursing for a long time because of that oath, because, uh, the pharmaceuticals didn't always feel safe to me. So, um, and the, the experience of that was kind of magical without even having a ceremony or anything else to go with it. It was just part of my nursing course and they're like, here's this symbol and here's this oath, and they have these histories, but don't worry about that. We just want you to make this oath um, after you, you know, and then you have to take your test. And, um, and I think it really, it, it, I remember it repeating, the oath repeating in my head over and over and over again. And that's what kind of made me go, oh, maybe not that way. And uh, it was an interesting turn. But uh, it's just just saying that that's it's kind of an interesting energy or magic to it that it brings the integrity into what we have in medicine today. Right. Everybody may not take it as seriously as I did, but some people do. Um, I don't want to miss Eve's question because I thought it was a great question. I'm curious about whether there are any dragon associations with Egypt.
2: Oh, I have no idea. You know, I don't think so. Not that I'm aware of. Um, the closest beastie that I think of when it comes to dragons is the crocodile. And the crocodile isn't a dragon, but there is a god associated with the crocodile. His name is Sobek. Sobek is his name. And he's he's pretty fierce. They They had big respect for him because you know he'd be laying on the the bank of the Nile and he'd be hungry and they'd have to watch out for him so that he didn't eat them up right so I'm not aware of any dragons other than that kind of reptilian energy so yeah I think Sobek would be the closest in fact it's There is a temple in Egypt. It's called Komombo. And I like the name Komombo. It's kind of fun. It feels like a dance. Um, Let's do the Komombo. Uh, Anyway, (laughs) okay. Um, So Komombo is one of the only temples that has two altars, right? There's usually in the temples, many deities you'll find all for the, all the temples, but there's usually one holy of holy, one place that is for the the main resident of that temple, but at Komombo, there's Komombo. two, and one of them is for Sobek, and the other one is for Heru, the elder, so there's two horses, Heru, Horus one is the younger, and he's the son of Isis, and the other one is the elder, who is the son of um, of Nuit and Nuit is the sky goddess, and um, a lot of people think of heavenly father and earth mother, right? There's a lot of that in the world. But in the ancient times, it was the earth father and the sky mother. It was it was swapped. And so Heru was one of five children born of the sky mother, Nuit. And there was Isis and Osiris and Nephthys and Set and Heru. And he never came down onto the earth. He never incarnated. So he was born he stayed up in the skies with his mother and whereas the other four came down on the ground. So you've got this temple, Kamumbo. it's actually a hospital talking about healing, right? And medical stuff. This particular temple was a hospital temple. And I think of it in this way, I think of it is there's this union that happens between the crocodile, who's like the reptilian brain, belly on the mud, down on the earth. And this hawk is what, Heru was represented by a hawk or a falcon soaring in the sky and more of the high mind, which is like the neocortex is the part of the brain that gives us our our high thinking and our ability to reason and and that kind of thing. And so this particular temple is a union of those two deities, right? Between the crocodile and this falcon that never came down to the earth. And uh, it's quite fascinating. Yeah. Love that place. It's, it's like when I walk through that temple, I feel this like, oh, I feel like I'm receiving healing just from being in the temple. And it's super cool. When you go around into the back, there's places on the back wall where they have carvings of medical instruments like, you know, scalpel, please. Right. That kind of stuff. Right. And, uh, and there's a place in the back as well, where you can go and give your confession, not like odd sins, not that kind of a confession, but I'm really not feeling well. Right. I've got this cold or, or there's a problem in my shoulder or my heart's feeling heavy or whatever it is. And so it's a pretty powerful spot that this sobeck Maybe not dragon, but still this, this, and it, you know, actually, if you put the two of them together, you got a dragon, you know, you got the crocodile on the ground and you got the wings and the hawk flying in the sky, mush them together and you've got yourself a dragon. So there you go. (laughs) That wasn't unusual. That's not unusual, right? For like, well done. For like (laughs)
1: addiction, like they're always putting things together. For real.
2: (laughs) Remember the
1: place.
0: Cow head on. Yeah.
1: Yeah, because that brings me to some of the images you sent me. Um yeah. So, yeah, I want to start, I want to talk about some of these images. Let's see here. Okay. Um, and, you know, because that's what, that's immediately what came to mind, was immediately like, you know, some of these images are, well, first of all, this one here.
2: All um, right. Tell us
0: about that.
1: Yeah. yeah.
2: The reason why I wanted to bring this one forward is because this is Akhenaten. And he was a bit of a rebel at the time. He was a pharaoh. And um, so just a disclaimer, I'm not an Egyptologist. History is not my strong suit. When I'm leading tours in Egypt, I have an Egyptologist that talks history. I'm into this... The archetypal nature of the deities and what the Netaru represents, the gods and goddesses, the deities of Egypt. But what I think is amazing about him is he, he wanted to unify the whole land under the light, Aten, the, the light which is an aspect of Ra, or Re, ray, Ra, Ra, Re, however you want to say it. And what he also did is he deviated in terms of the art. At one time, if you look at stuff throughout e- in, you Google Ancient Egypt art, and all of the images look really the same. It didn't matter what pharaoh you're looking at. It all had the same look to it. And he brought forward truth of imagery. You know, he's got a belly, right? He's got a little bit of breasts. He was more effeminate in the way his face was. And he wanted to portray truth, right? Not some idealized version of what he should look like. This is what he looks like. And this acceptance of of being, right? And and this is Nefertari uh, Nefertari's wife, and she too has a belly, kind of like me. I got a little belly going on here. It's actually not so little, but anyway. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, I love that there's, it's not about trying to, tend to be something you're not. It's about being who you really are. And so that's why I wanted to bring them forward.
1: Well, Ooh. that's really special because authenticity is important to me. That's what my book's all
0: about. That's what I was just going <laughs> to say. What a great um, time to plug your book. It's, it's all... Like- <laughs> You just said it perfectly.
1: (laughs) Divine androgyny. Um, Yeah, it's divine androgyny. It's a sacred path for gender variant people. And I believe actually that gender variant people are here to teach what authenticity is. Yeah. Um, That we're here to shred the roles that we all play. Um, And I'm not, you know, a lot of us would agree on that. A lot of us gender variant people would be like, well, yeah, I'm authentic. Like, what else could I be, <laughs> right? And it's like, yeah, you're not playing a role, and that's my point. Is, but
0: thank God you can be yourself nowadays. Yeah, and that you don't have to hide because it, how dangerous it can be to be yourself. You know, I think that's so. Important. Well, m-
1: most of us don't have to hide. There are some people hopefully in, there are some people in the United States and inside and in, in the world that unfortunately still have. And my prayers go to those Definitely. people. May they be blessed by what is the name of
2: this God? God. Akhenaten. Akhenaten. I love that Akhenaten. name, Akhenaten. May they find their way through the light. May rhythm and the names shine down upon them. And you know, in terms of who he was as a pharaoh, I, 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 I don't, I never really looked deeply into that aspect of him. But just this piece that he wanted to bring forward an authentic. Truth. This is what I look like. Right. I got big hips. I got a belly. I got some boobs and it's okay. Right. Doesn't diminish who I am. He could be really who he was.
1: That's fabulous. And this picture, I was like, oh, my gosh, it kind of looks like two guys or something, but I'm not sure.
2: So you know, these was, are there's some uh, you know well, some various people have various thoughts about what this is about, um but their names are Kanumhotep and Nian kanum, and they were both governors for a king, a pharaoh in the sixth or excuse me the fifth dynasty and what's interesting about them is that they were buried together often in the tombs it would show the the husband and the wife and the children and this is one of the examples where there's not an image of a husband and a wife it's these two men in this this sweet embrace in this you can see that they care about each other and they were buried in the tomb together and they would in the ancient times the tombs would be um put together so that you'd go to the field of reeds and spend eternity with your beloved. And so this is showing the two of them in their tomb. Wow. That's amazing. And this is
0: maybe 5,000, 7,000 years old.
2: Long time ago.
3: Wow.
0: Long
2: time ago. (laughs) That's
0: amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's one of the things that I had wrong, and the more I learned, having not been to Egypt, and I totally respect all the 17 trips you've made, wow. Um, One of the things that I had wrong that I think is worth talking about, because Nikki would point it out a lot, is the equality that exists there was gender equality in ancient Egypt yes because there sure isn't now modern you know like so it oh it's I I probably had to hear that 10 times before I believed it honestly Mm -hmm. so to have to see love is love and you can be with your beloved whoever that is that's just wow
2: So, you know, it's tricky The 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 Egypt of today is very different than like the United States and and their reality around, you know, this whole community that's here with us is what it is. I don't need to go down that path. But I do want to say after my um, assumptions of how women were treated in that country specifically, and now after being there for so long, there's actually a much deeper reverence and respect for women than I initially assumed. And so I was glad to have some of my assumptions shifted a little bit rather than, you know, thinking I knew, you know, coming from this Western mind that I have to really see some of the deep respect that they have for the women was different than what I had thought initially. So that I was grateful for that. And in the ancient times, right, they, they saw the, the the quality of, of, the the masculine and the feminine because it's part of the whole, right? It's a whole. And then there's everything in between that, right? And so we live in a world of wholeness and somehow over time that wholeness has been broken apart or divided or better than the other or whatever it is. And even in the ancient, it wasn't all perfect. There's plenty of examples of where you see the pharaoh, huge, and then his little tiny wife that's like only up to his knees right so there isn't always that equality but like with akhenaten you could see in that image before with his beloved that that they were of equal status right and often you'll see these statues where there's the the pharaoh and then there's the queen next to him and she's got her arm around him as if she's the support right he can't be without the support of him in fact the goddess Isis, deity Isis. Um, She's an archetype of the mother. We all have a mother, right? She's the mother. Her symbol is the throne symbol. She's the throne. She is the throne, right? And you can imagine sitting, a child sitting on the mother's lap, right? The the child is sitting on the throne in that way. So yeah, there was... A lot more respect of the union and the the um, yeah that union of of the two. So, do you have that picture of Hatshepsut? It's the one with the multiple statues. I think that would be this one. Yeah. So. This is interesting. So she was, Hatshepsut was a pharaoh. She was the second known pharaoh that was a female. And I know you can Google her and get her story. But what I want to point out is that she portrayed herself as masculine. So she was female, but she has the masculine beard and she's she's, um, in this posture that is of um, Osiris and so she's representing this union of male and female in her body right she's showing herself as male and she's also honoring the feminine of herself right they're both are there all in one being I think it's really quite a beautiful aspect of her she helps us understand that we all have all aspects inside of us however it's, it is that we are, however it is that we feel, right? I, I have some masculine in me, right? I feel more feminine, but I also have the masculine qualities, right? Sekhmet is feminine in her. She's a female, but she's fierce in a, in a masculine way. And we start putting it in, in those terms. So the Egyptians really worked with that. Um, Happy, who's the, the next picture I think you have, Yeah. So happy is the Nile God. He represented the flooding Nile, but he's androgynous. He's both in one. And he was a God of fertility, right? Often the fertility goddesses are what are, you know, the goddesses are um, equated to the fertility in this way. And he, he is both right. And, uh, he's pretty amazing he he keeps the river flowing and the flood is actually that um, that push of all the fertility that comes from the south of e- of a- Africa and floods the land and leaves the silt that all the new life can grow out of that's what he is he is representing all of that um, well today they've dammed the river like dammed it with a with the dam, but I also feel like they've dammed it by, by cutting its flow, they've cut the fertility. It's, it's actually rather tragic. Some of what's happening because of all the dams, not just on the Nile, but all over the world, right? If we, if we cut one of our arteries, if we dam one of our arteries, it causes big problems to our bodies. And these rivers are the arteries of, of the planet. So oh, it's tricky. Well said. I sent this to Egypt because uh, they're dealing with major difficult water right issues with, with Ethiopia and, and that's a whole political thing. I don't want to go down that road. but you know prayers to that. you know water is life for all of us, for all of us. And when we dam our rivers, we, we um, create trouble for life, not just the human life, but all the life that is on this planet. So,
1: yeah,
2: um, and then there's one more image if you have it there. So who this is, this represents Heka, which is a god of magic. Um, But the image I want to bring your attention to is the symbol on his head. And what that represents is the Ka. And the Ka, in the ancient Egyptian time, they believed there were nine aspects of the soul. And the Ka was one of those aspects. And it represented the eternal soul. And so the ka, um, the ka part of your soul was whatever gender you weren't manifesting in this life. And so if you're feminine in this life, your Ka was masculine. If you're masculine in this life, your Ka was feminine. And what I believe is that is telling me that we all have all aspects of us inside of us, right? That we all are a part of, again, this whole. And so now I think that, you know, this aspect of androgyny that's important is the unification, that it's not just the soul, a, a, a external soul of the Ka, but that, that there's really this union coming in to bring it into balance. Right. Just well, aside. on
1: that beautiful note, because I wanted to talk a little bit more about androgyny, um, and because I read that article that you sent me, totally resonated with me. But we have to take a quick break. So uh, I want to give everybody a little break. And uh, anyway, we'll be right back. And thank you so much for watching. We're going to come back. We're going to talk a little bit more about androgyny and support rainbow soul check out the rainbow soul merchandise for your favorite new shirt a variety of colors and styles to suit your taste show off your love for rainbow soul get cool designs with your favorite quotes Designs come in a variety of colors so that you can express your most authentic self. Support Rainbow Soul in spreading the word that queer, gender variant, intersex, transgender is sacred. Rainbow Soul. Putting the soul back into queer. Order your unique, Rainbow Soul merchandise at rainbowsoul.show.
3: Jack of all trades, master of none, but oftentimes better than a master of one. So, what exactly does that mean? It is a figure of speech in reference to a person who has dabbled in many things rather than gaining expertise by only focusing on one. So much knowledge and wisdom out there at our fingertips yet so difficult to grasp everything and everyone has a little piece of the truth and it is up to us to determine what our truth is in this busy world creating the time the space to nourish our bodies mind and soul has become a difficult task so let's take a moment to learn something something small in whatever way the universe decides to reveal it it could be someone's story a quote a spiritual practice maybe a song or a movie The opportunities are limitless and all around us if we just take a moment to see. We are all students of life experiences, so let us learn from one another. There is no right or wrong path. There is only your path and your journey. So let's begin our adventure and explore all the world has to offer and let us become a master of none.
1: Welcome back, everybody, and we are back. And I just want to give a little shout out to our viewers, like Tracy, and uh, thank you so much, Eric. Is Eric was helping you out, <laughs> uh, so helping you answer the questions. Thanks, Eric. And I, I this whole androgyny thing. Welcome, Erica. I'm glad you're watching today. Welcome. Um this whole androgyny thing was like for me androgyny is is kind of divinity in itself because it contains both. Now some people say androgyny contains neither, which I also is an interesting perspective in that gender is no longer valid or or not there. But I think for me at least right now in our world the way it is You know, the binary is pretty dominant. And when you're born into um, a body that is identified as female, and then you're marked as that gender for most of your life, and then at some point you awaken and go, well, I know my body looks like a she, but in here and in here, I feel like a he. And for me, and that's what I talk about in my book. I go through this whole thing about how I explore gender and stuff like that. But what I concluded was that nature didn't make a mistake. I am not a mistake. That I was born with the masculine mind, the masculine heart, the masculine soul into a female body to help shake up the gender binary that has such a grasp on our culture that I think it actually inhibits both sides. Like guys can't cry and be sensitive and women carrying an ax is seen as intimidating Um, and, you know, things like that. So I feel like gender variant people are here for a reason. Like, we're here to change the world. All of us, every single one of you, every single gender variant person in the world is here to rock the boat. We're here to poke at the binary that keeps us separated. And so when I read this thing about the Egyptian experience of, like... Um, having to have both genders represented when they're buried at death so if they had if they had a male body then they were put into the sarcophagus which represented femininity um, because it's a vessel right that holds something right and I was like wow, that's fascinating that's interesting I think I understood it correctly and then they were saying that, They didn't always put women in these sarcophagus, but if they did, they made sure that she was sort of presented as a masculine being because androgyny was seen as almost like divinity, like the wholeness, like you were saying. Um, And that's kind of I think we're all androgynous somewhere in our heart and soul. And some of us are meant to march around with flags and, um, you know, books and things. And some of us are more like, yeah, I can kind of see how you're androgynous. (laughs) And then some people are like, no, I really feel like a woman or I really feel like a man. But I think everyone has a little bit of androgyny in them.
2: I think so, too. I think that we're all a little bit of all of it, right? We all have the whole of the universe inside of us, right? The stars that exploded eons ago that became part of this system. It's all inside of us. Right? And how we choose or f- feel to, <coughs> <apologies. laughs> how we choose to express ourselves, sometimes it's the bark of <laughs> the little daisy dog, <laughs> um, that it all has beauty in it, right? And that's where I think we're heading in our world is not, if you want to show as a feminine being regardless of what sexual reproductive organs you have or if you want to show as a masculine being or you want to show a little bit of both right you got a big old beard with some bright red lipstick like how beautiful to be the wholeness of, of who we are right so
0: yay I, I definitely want to jump on that Both with both what both of you have said. I think that was one of the things I thought was so cool and fun about paganism. The first time I showed up at a festival and saw men super comfortable and happy in skirts. And I was like, right on. And permission for people to just be themselves. I, I get very confused about why it's even an issue. Because we all took high school biology, Right matter of fact, you and I took biology at the same school. (laughs) We found out uh, that Indigo and I grew up in the same hometown, which was just pretty remarkable since we're both very far from our hometown (laughs) by choice. Um, So anyway, I remember high school biology, the dreaded you have to dissect frog experience, you know, the smell of formaldehyde in the hallways for months and and it was it was torturous it was awful but i'll never forget the talk and the talk was simple basic evolutionary biology and they told us the frogs were changing they told us the frogs were presenting in uh intersexed that the the number of the, the genders of frogs were changing how the all of it was changing and that they were telling us we're going to be changing. And I was like, awesome. So to me, tra- the the whole idea of the trans population is like, duh, they're the evolutionary leaders. Hello. We're supposed to be learning and watching and letting them lead. Come on, let's go. <laughs> and just to see that it's become controversial is always like, Didn't you take biology? And then you realize, well, we're just not all on the same page. Just not all on the same page. But to me and to this community, I just want to say in my book, evolutionary leaders. And thank you for the leadership you provide. Best of both worlds. And I'm not the only one. There's
1: definitely some other people that agree with this topic, including Basile, the I think your name is from Transylvania who also looks like a gender variant person um, they said that they find themselves in, in our post I'm not they're you know from Romania so their English might be a little different and often judged as a sacred sensual healer I do find it unfortunate that people just because they have a um, what is labeled as a male body uh, when they're born um, that they can't be sensual and sensitive. I'm kind of like, um, (laughs) what's the problem there? (laughs) Um, I feel like, aren't we all sensual, sensitive beings? Um, I do like what Eve said. There is a pressure to choose a binary, even in some of the LGBTQI plus community. But it feels like feeling that one does not fully fit either, but have elements of both than to deny any one part in favor of the other. We are losing part of ourselves rather than being our very best self. By embracing the duality the duality of divinity we are destined to be. I totally agree. <laughs> but some people, I think, because of the trauma that happens, um, we the trauma that happens when somebody says, "Well, I'm transgender, I'm not a woman. And then the people keep misgendering them. That's what makes them really dig their feet in and fight it. And they're like, damn it. No, I'm a man. And they get more and more loud about it.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And that's unfortunate. And that's the trauma of us, of the, what I call the binary system um, and what it creates. And I feel like, I don't know if Egypt had, I don't think anybody can answer the question of whether Egypt had that or not. I don't think anyone can answer that. Um, maybe we don't know, because there's a lot of mysteries in Egypt. Yeah. But I will say that today, in our modern lives, I, I know there are some people in the path that do struggle with that. So be careful. If you're transgender and you're connecting, there are some temples, I know for a fact, that don't allow transgender people to be high priestesses or of, of high divinity in their temple. But most of us, three quarters of us, probably 90% of us, and I know for a fact, Indigo and the Vegas Vortex and the Cascadia Vortex are all very sort of, they have an Egyptian Egyptian following. And if you get involved with them, for sure, they don't have that. They don't have that prejudice. I, I know it for a fact. Personally walked it. So I think you have to be, you know, you have to pay attention, ask questions, and be for sure if you're a transgender person to be sure that you are aligned with a community that accepts you for who you are but i will say that most of the time in the pagan community in general most of us are like oh great you're gender variant hey do you know hollis (laughs) um and, and you know and the next thing you know they, you know, they want you to represent androgyny or the rebus or whatever it is, and they can usually celebrate you. Um, even the older, the older people. When I first met Nikki Scully, who's much older, I don't, I'm not sure how old she is, but we don't have to, just, we don't have to announce her name, her her age up here. But even she was like, "So you're both," and I was like, mm-hmm, "Yeah, I'm both, masculine and feminine."
0: She's like. Best of both worlds, eh? And I was like, <laughs> looks at me and winks, and I'm like, uh-huh.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, so I've uh, never had that experience. And I, I'm sure, Indigo, you know, when you go to Egypt, it, it's probably really complicated. Like, if a gender variant person wanted to go to Egypt with you. Hmm. What would that, what do you think would happen if that happened? Wow. Good question. If they wanted to go oh. explore.
2: If I had a gender variant person with me on trip, they'd be held within the embrace of my tour. And, you know, I would prep them for potential challenges. We wouldn't, it wouldn't be like, let's, let's fly our, our rainbow flags and be out and loud, you know, it's, it's a personal walk and we're in our own container that way. For me, I'm like, oh, hi, you're you right? Whoever you are, however you are, right? Whatever way you want to be. And, and we hold that. I've had queer people on my tours, and it's not a big deal. We just are, are mindful of the culture. I think that it's important to respect any culture, even if you don't agree with it. You know, there's plenty of things out there I don't agree with, but that doesn't mean I can't respect that they're coming from where they're coming from. Same thing, oh, hi, you're you nice to meet you where you're at, right? Um, so I don't know if that answers that question. But for me, it's about holding whoever is with me in those in the context of Egypt, however, I need to, to make them feel safe, right?
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I think as a, as a gender variant person, when we travel, we think twice about where we're going, yeah. and um, who we're going with. Uh, because we have to, Um, you know, I've, I've had a, you know, there's places in Africa you could go to jail for being me. Um, so, you you know, I don't want to wear the shirt that says they, them, real big Ahmed or, um, you know, so I, and I, I know I'm not the only one. So, um, so here's Eve is asking a question and I think we should answer it. Here's an interesting question. Now, here in PA, we have the X gender variant option. Would there be any issues with the documentation in Egypt? That's
2: a good question. Potentially, unfortunately, potentially. Um, in I know in different places in the United States, there's a lot of the states here that are changing their forms to be, you know, not just male, female. I was filling out a a form for school for my 14 year old and they gave all the options, right? Male, female, non-binary, you know, how are you identifying there? They gave that option, but not everywhere in the world is open to that. So it's, it's one of the challenges, right? It's one of the challenges that's happening, but I think it's also shifting the very fact that a high school application had all those options it wouldn't have been that way even maybe even five years ago, right? So it has to start somewhere. And the more that we each are in that place of, oh, hi, it's you, (laughs) nice to meet you, whoever you are, however you are, in whatever way you wanna express yourself, um, the more we change the world, right? But yes. yeah, in Egypt, it is still very much binary. It's a patriarchal culture and, uh, and care with presentation n- needs to happen, but that doesn't mean that it can't happen, that anybody can come on a tour there. Um, you just have to be mindful. Yeah.
1: As I personally have thought about it, cause I want to go to Egypt. It's one of my bucket lists and, um, and uh, I've also thought about changing my license and going, what's the impact outside of this country? Yeah, it's important in this country Yeah, and maybe even some other countries. But uh, what's the impact outside of the U.S.? Right. Do I really, like, how important is it? Um, so that's something that I sit with and I encourage other gender variant people to also think about that impact if there's some places that you really want to see in the world. Um, just because they're not there yet doesn't mean you don't want to ever go to Egypt, right? So uh, I feel like I could still go and fly under the radar and do what I need to do. And and maybe even I might even meet a queer person that comes out to me because that happens. <laughs> um <laughs> And that could happen. So, you know, you just never know what your impact is even worldwide, you know. Um, even when I've, when I have the little bit of traveling around the world that I have done uh, in Costa Rica, I was flabbergasted at how they had an entire beach for queers and um, how they want me to bring my retreats there. And they have special promotional things to help bring LGBTQ people to their country. They want us there. So there's a piece of information you may not have known. So there's like, you know, it's happening all over the world, but we have to, we have to let it happen. And we're all changers, right? We're changing the world all the time.
2: <laughs> and I think so just like I want to have respect for who I am and my choices for how I present and um, you want to be respected And we also have to respect others as well, right, and where they're at at the moment. Again, I may not agree, but it doesn't mean that I should be shaming them because I don't want to be shamed if someone doesn't agree with me. So anyway, it's something like that, right? How do we we just arrive in a heart-centered place with each other?
1: Right. Part of me is a little rebellious. Like, don't tell me I can't come to Egypt just because I'm gender variant. I'm just not going to tell you. You know, exactly. like, you know, <laughs> <And> so, <laughs> so, um and, uh, you know, um the, w- but I also want to say that if you want to explore the pantheon as a, as a spiritual path and, and bring these spiritual things into your life, there are tons of books out there about it by Nikki Scully, who is your teacher's indigo and i think you have a book or two
2: right i have a book it's on its way and you know about the class of the book because you both helped me thank you very much thank you very (laughs) much um the gifts of ma'at is is um hopefully by summer's end is my fingers crossed having it finished congratulations Um, thank you and what ma'at i think i shared a little earlier ma'at is this deity of truth of justice, balance, reciprocity, right, natural law, cosmic order. All these things are what Ma'at represents. And in fact, you'll see um, in the various temples on the walls and some of the statues, she has this symbol. Let me draw it, actually, because it'll make more sense if I draw it. So hold on a second. I'll have a little drawing moment here. Um, So the symbol looks like this. Okay, so it's like a, um, it's kind of not a very good one, but anyway, it gets kind the of looks idea. like
1: a skateboarding ramp to me, but
2: you know, it does a little bit, right? So you'll see the, the gods and the goddesses standing. That's actually some feet right there, is what that is um, on the symbol. So the deities stand on truth, right? Even the gods and the goddesses of Egypt have to stand on the truth. And, um, so Ma'at brings us many gifts, I tell a little bit of, of, uh, a story of how it worked in their minds. So, um, when a person would move through their life, they would come to the end of their life and pass through the veils from he- here and now to what is coming next. And, um, they would be taken to the halls of two truths. Not just one truth, but the halls of two truths. Mm. And what I believe that means is that there's the truth, capital T, truth. Like the truth that none of us really know, right? No one of us can ever know the truth. It's so much bigger and broader and deeper and wider than anything any of us can know. So, and then the other is truth, small t, my truth, your truth. And not small to diminish it, but just to recognize that there is a plethora of truths, in the world and in the cosmos, right? We have this one planet. This was one planet of how many planets in the whole of the cosmos. Inevitably, we're not the only life forms here, right? That is on this planet. There's no way I can believe that this planet has the only life in all of the cosmos. So little t. So you get taken to the Hall of Two Truths. And in this Hall of Two Truths, there are 42 assessors, the ones who assess you and the life you've led. And you go up to each one of them and you say, I did not, whatever it is. Then you go to the next one, I did not, and I did not, I did not, 42 times. And if you're deemed to be worthy, you move on to the scales. And in the scales, your heart, not your physical heart, but your spiritual heart, which is called an ob would be taken and weighed against the feather of ma'at. So the symbol I just drew, you can imagine maybe if it's like this, it's a feather, right? A very stylized feather, but still a feather all the same. And that's one of her symbols as well, is the feather. And so your heart would be weighed against the feather of ma'at. Is your heart heavy or light? The goal is to have a heart as light as a feather, right? Meaning that you lived a good life, that you took care of your stuff, that you treated people with respect, that, you know, all of that, your heart was light. And unfortunately, if your heart was heavier, your soul got gobbled up by this demon goddess. I I don't know why they call her a demon. I think she was just really hungry. She was a a hybrid beastie who was a hippo and a lion and a crocodile, like the three fiercest beasties of the ancient world all in one. Of course she was hungry, right? She was starving all the time. And so, Anyway, she would gobble up your soul and that would be a bummer. So you wanted to live live a good life, right? You really wanted to live a good life. And if your heart was light, then you would move on to the Field of Reeds, which was their paradise, heaven, I I don't know what you want to call it, the afterlife of some kind. So as I'm learning about this, and I'm like, well, that's all, you know, I, I get that, you know, you want to live a good life. But this negative confession business, and that's what they're called, the negative confessions, never sat right with me. And so I'm like, there must be a way that I could turn that around for myself. So I'm like, oh. It's as simple as having 42 positive declarations, right? 42 aspects of my life that I think are important to live a good, integrous life, not based on some religion, not based on some guru, not based on what anybody else is telling me I should or shouldn't do, but simply based on the truth that I want to be a good person. And so that's where the gifts of Ma'at came from, is this desire to create a body of work that helped me first, but then others to step on this path of what what are the 42 things that are important how how can i live a good life and then when i veer off of that it's not like oh now i'm sinning i'm sinning against my own 40 one of my 42 instead it's like well what about that 42 isn't in alignment with me anymore how do i how do i either bring myself back into alignment with that or how do i rewrite that that particular part to be more in alignment with what my truth is. I'm just realizing I have, I have a feather here. This is her other symbol, the feather. Yeah. It's an ostrich feather actually, um, is what the symbol is. And uh, I'm kind of veering off for a second, but it's an ostrich feather for a couple of reasons. If it's one of the only feathers that I know of, that the little featherlets on each side are exactly the same all the way going up. So it's this balance, right? Mm -hmm. And also, if you ever get a hold of a feather, an ostrich feather, hold it in a room where you don't feel any breeze or any wind or anything like that, and hold it really still and you'll notice all the little featherlets they're like moving right because they pick up the subtlest of 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 energy moving through the air, so anyway, it's very sensitive, so it's like it detects the truth <laughs> truth detector um. So the gifts of Ma'at is this process to look at one's life, where you've been, where you are, where you're headed, so that you can align yourself with your truth, right? What is what is it that's my truth? What are the 42 aspects of being that I want to emanate in my life, right? And so that's, that's what this work is all about. And you come to the yeah. end of it. And your heart is weighed against the feather. But instead of getting to that point and your heart's just heavy or light and you don't have any choice, we get to look inside of it and see, okay, I still have some stuff in there that's kind of icky or, you know, I really didn't treat that person very well the other day and I don't feel super good about that or, or you know, whatever it is. And instead of just having it be black or white, good or bad, I can feed it to Ahmet. She's like, thanks for giving me a meal. I don't want to eat your soul. I just am hungry. So I get to empty my heart every so often and look in, is it, is it too heavy? Am I, am I, is my heart weighed down? Then I can feed it to Ahmet and then she's not going to gobble me up at the end. So anyway, that's, that's what the body of work is all about is looking at that so that when I do pass through those veils, whenever that's going to be, whether it's in an hour in a day, a month, a year, hopefully 30 years from now, I'd like to be 80. I just dated myself. Um <laughs> then I'm living that good life. Right. And again, not based on what anybody else is telling me I should or shouldn't be doing, but what is truly within my own integrity and my own ethical understanding of what it is to be a human being. So anyway,
1: that's I, I, I found, uh, I'm just going to say that we, we, when Bright Hawk and I were doing your meditations, what happened was uh, Indigo would put her meditations for these uh, different parts of, her her course now called The Gifts of Ma'a, um, and we would listen to them, and then we would try to put music and sound effects and Bright Hawk's a musician, and I'm the engineer, and we're trying to put things together. But of course, you know, you have to listen at least once, but we listen like 15 times or probably <laughs> more than that. And anyway, so, you know, the first time you kind of go through it yourself, and really the second, third, fourth time for me. Um, you go through it again, you know, and I would say that you, for me, um, that it was a gift. It really was a gift that I had the, I don't want to say power, but that's what it kind of feels like. Um, the power to say what is good is, is what I want to be, who I want to be and how I want to be it. That no one else was defining that for me. That I was defining that. Um, And I think that's what really felt special.
0: I would just jump in and add that we are so hard on ourselves, most of us. And I feel like the first time I did the exercise, I perceived all the intercessors as judges. And I was so hard on myself. And then I'm like, whoa, I'm writing this script, you know? (laughs) Okay, let's try it again. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And this whole thing of realizing um, the process of bringing the process to light. I love how you very gently guided so that each person could make it their own. And that's really a gift as a teacher, you know. I think it was Volterra that said, The greatest gift you can give another is not to reveal to them your gifts, but to reveal to them, their own gifts. Yeah. And and I love how you do that. You, It's one of the <laughs> things I love about you. You do it really, really well. And and Good. I just props to you on that one. And, and the other thing I'd like to just jump in and say, just you've said it so many times and so beautifully is, especially for folks who are new to anything uh, around the Egyptian mysteries, I would say in a nutshell, it's about this. This is what, this is where it, registered for me it's your personal relationship and so you know just like my mother would call on the energy of saint anthony whenever she would lose something you know she would light a candle especially if it was something big and she couldn't figure it out she would pray to saint anthony and it's like that that was her archetype for her I lost it trying to Trying call it back to me <laughs> help me out here and it yeah. worked for her because she believed it worked. I think that's part of it. And for me, I felt like when I first started to understand the energies of Sekhmet, the energies of Thoth, the energies of Ma'at, it was, again, there's this, you could use the word archetypal, it's like, gee. I didn't know Thoth was the person I was calling on every time I was studying for a test or, or in the middle of an exam, going, Okay, man, give me the answers. But that's who you're, that's the energy you're tapping, you know? And it's kind of fun to know they have names. <laughs> and so, you know, I felt like I learned about fierce love when I started tapping into the energy of Segment and feeling these gifts of lay down your burdens. Lay down your burdens. I can take care of that for you. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah.
0: That's I can so cool. eat up that googly goo goo. <laughs> That's exactly
1: how Eve feels. Eve was saying, interesting that many spiritual paths have sin eaters of some oh, type. Oh, wow. That take our Good heaviness job. so that really resonates as a better understanding of the positive implications.
2: That's mm-hmm. fantastic, Eve.
1: Yeah, I, um to even be able to, you know, I grew up in a Catholic home, Catholic <laughs> church, so... Yeah, and so what I want to say is um, that that being able to put that down, I I, I call that putting down your baggage um, or or responsibilities that you took on that weren't necessarily yours. I don't know if you have a tendency to do that. I sometimes do that, um, and so putting that baggage down is important um, for all of us. And none of us are perfect, and I think that that also resonates uh, with the entire modern Egyptian experience. So um, Indigo, I want to, we have about 10 minutes or so, about 10 10 to 15 minutes. um, If you want to give a little taste of your gifts of Ma'at experience, because what I want you guys to know is that if you really want to dive down this, Indigo is the one you want to go with. because not only is she gentle, kind-hearted, understanding, and inclusive, but I feel like she really has a special uh, connection, a spiritual connection with this pantheon. Mm. So um, so that's why that's. that's why I want to offer you a moment, Indigo, to maybe just kind of tell us about the, the logistics of the gifts of Amat. What is it? It's a... How many
2: class? It's mm-hmm. a class, right? it's eight classes actually, that goes through the whole series of the experience. and it's I'm not I don't even want to call it a class. It's an experience because I'm guiding you through your own inner experience. And yes, I say words and and I guide along the way and I get you to envision to activate your imagination in a way where you can see or feel or know things. Um, but it's for you. It's for you to feel and know and see for you. And, uh, and so we go through, there's 13 journeys, but it's all a continuous. And you get on a boat and you go down the Nile and you stop here, you stop there, and you have this experience of self, of your past, of your future, of your, your various bodies, right? We have this physical human body that we're in, but we also have this planetary body. Right, this Earth is our body. We're a cell within the body of the Earth. We have a cosmic body. This Earth and our body is a cell within the cosmic body. So it's understanding that um, until you end up in this place where you really see your your heart. I would love if you're game for this. um, Well, let me say one more thing, and then and then I would love to do a thing. Um, It's called the Egyptian Mysteries right? And this happened to me this morning. I have a class I've been doing. It's a different thing called Sasekam Sahu. And I have a little journey that I do with my class every month. And I didn't have a journey today. Like I went into this morning and there was no journey. And I'm like, come on, give me the journey. What am I doing with with my students? What am I doing? Oh my God, there's nothing there. And I get this message that like a little birdie in my ear that says, just trust. When it's time, it'll all be there, right? And it's this reminder of no matter how much I plan for the future moment, really, it's in the present tense that life is happening. And if I really just trust in that present tense, and I open to that moment, everything that we need is always right here. Um, So I've learned to live that way. And I would love to step into the mysteries with you for a moment. And just maybe what I have five minutes. Five minutes. Something like that um, we have about ten ten
1: about ten minutes mm-hmm. okay
2: total. Mm-hmm. total, okay, so I would love to just take us into the mysteries, right and see what comes and I don't actually know right that's part of it I'm like I didn't plan for this I don't know what I'm gonna do and the little human mind monkey mind in there's going oh are you sure what if you mess up it might not be okay they might not like it all that's going on and I'm like ah just trust right step into the moment and allow the mysteries to hold us so let's take a breath we all breathe the trees breathe The ants breathe. My dog Daisy, wherever she went, she breathes, (laughs) right? Most of the time, our breath is breathing us. We're not thinking about it. It's just happening, right? We're going through our day. But right now, we get to have a moment where we breathe our breath. And this breath we breathe is shared with the trees, the roses, the mosses, the mushrooms, the lionesses, the ibises. they still our sacred ibis, not in Egypt anymore, but they live in the world. And this breath that we share is the same breath that the ancient ones we've been talking about breathed. Akhenaten, he breathed this breath. Right? It's the same breath. It's the same air that's been circulating through our atmosphere through time, right? Since the beginning of there even being an atmosphere. So we're breathing the breath that those first, uh, uh, the little planties that were in the oceans, the ancient primordial oceans that created our atmosphere, we're breathing their breath, right? That's pretty pretty profound, really. Pretty special, So we're just bringing awareness to that. And if your eyes are open, I invite you to close them. I'm closing my eyes so I can see what mystery is in front of us. Now, imagine... I love the imagination. I remember as a kid, oh, you're just imagining it, they would say. And I'd be like, yes, I'm imagining it. What a gift to be able to imagine. So I invite you to imagine. i imagination. You are the magician of your nation. So imagine the River Nile, this vast river that's been flowing for so long. It's blue. It's bluer than the sky on a beautiful blue sky day. It's this deep, deep lapis blue. And along the banks of the river, there are green trees growing. There is papyrus and reeds growing along the river's edge. There's mango trees. There's date palms. There's fields with alfalfa. There's wheat, there's vegetables that the people grow. And if you float along the Nile today, or 5,000 years ago, if you're not in one of the city centers, it looks the same. So just envision this green growing strip along this blue, blue river. And then just outside of that green strip is the desert. These sands that were once the bottom of the ocean so long ago. So just notice that. Notice the blue and the green and the, that beige tan color of the sands. And then bring your attention up to the sky, which is a different kind of blue than the river is blue. But it's still this deep, deep blue in a day during the day. And imagine in your mind's eye the sun. They called it ray back in the day. Or raw. I like ray because it's like the ray of the sun. This bright disk of fire that is nourishing the land. And as you're standing in your mind's eye on the bank of the river... I want to invite this God we met earlier. His name is Happy. And though they call him a God, he is represented as an androgynous being. And you see him come out of the river and the water's dripping off of him. And he's greeting you. And his name, Happy, you feel that happy from him, right? Can't help but smile when he's standing there in front of you with you. And just breathe with him for a moment. Feel his happiness to be the river. Even with the dams in the river, he's still happy. He still recognizes the gift that it is to be alive. No matter the difficulties or the blockages that we have, there's still joy there. And he helps us remember that. Just imagine now, if you will, him giving you a message, sharing with you some truth that you need to know that is specific to you not my truth not their truth not his truth or her truth but your truth what is it that you need to hear from him right now just receive the gift of that message And with his cold, dripping hands from the river, he draws a heart on your chest, helping you remember your heart center, that beautiful, sacred, holy of holy ways that is you, within you. And as he brings your attention to your heart center, take a deep breath into your heart center. Imagine, if you will, in your heart center, it's almost like a temple. It's not like a temple. It is a temple because you are a temple. Your body is a temple. And in this holy of holies, center of center places within the temple of your being is a flame. Maybe... You feel it, the warmth that animates you. Maybe you see the flicker of a candle. Maybe you feel this sun burning inside of you, this brilliant, bright disk. However it is for you is right and good. Take a deep breath into that flame and begin to pour your love upon the flame. Now, not the kind of love that's so like, I love ice cream. I love my dog. I love Hollis and Bright Hawk. Right? That's all good love, <laughs> but the love that transcends that—that love that isn't about desire or liking—or it's it's that that cosmic, that that juicy, all encompassing love. That love. Tap into that, even if it's a stretch, even if you're not quite sure how. Know that you can and begin to breathe that love into your heart flame and and notice when you do that that your heart flame grows even brighter and stronger and notice that happy is even happier there standing with you. And feel that love, that transcendent love traveling through every cell and molecule in your body the tips of your toes, to the tip of your nose, to the top and bottom and side and front and back and all through you, carrying that love, carrying that light that you are. Just notice what that feels like to connect into yourself in this way as a holy being, a sacred being, a uniquely special being upon the planet. And bring your attention now to the planet itself, this earth that nourishes us, this earth that holds us. And allow your awareness to begin to sink through the layers of the earth. There's the top layer where we all are, wherever we are as we go down that topmost layer, we get to a layer that's of the bedrock. It's pretty solid. It's dense of minerals, rocks. And as we sink through that layer with our awareness, it begins to heat up. And that mineral layer, the dense layer, begins to melt into the molten layer. And easily, somehow, we're able to sink through that very thick, deep layer of the earth's blood, is how I like to think of it, until we arrive in the heart center of the planet. Because the planet is a holy temple as well. And when we arrive in that center point of the planet, we're all connected. We're all in the same place at the same time. We're connected to the ancestors who walked upon this earth once before or slithered or flew, whatever, you know, kind of being they were. We're connected to all the animals that are here now, all the plants, the mushrooms. We're connected to each other with all our differences, with all our similarities. And in the center heart place of the earth, We're connected to the wisdom and the vitality of this planet, this biosphere, this greater planetary body that we are all a part of. Just feel that wisdom and vitality. Feel that connection. Feel the unity, the similarities, and the diversities all at the same time. And bring that now up with you, whatever it is that you've experienced in this center point. Bring it up through the layers, through the molten layer, through the dense bedrock layer, through that top layer, up into your heart center. So it mixes and it mingles with your love. So now in your heart center, in this holy of holies temples of your being, there's the wisdom and vitality of the earth, and there's your transcendent love. Just feel what that feels like for a moment. Maybe if you're not already, allow a smile to come to your lips. Allow your shoulders to relax a little bit. Allow your presence in this time and space to be fully and uniquely you, knowing that this planet spins around a sun and this sun has many planets that dance together and that this solar system, the solar body that we are all a part of is part of a cosmic body. that's deeper in time and space than I can even really begin to imagine. We have stardust in our blood. We are the stars. We are the light. And again, bring your attention to your imagination of this place standing upon the Nile, of this beautiful being happy, the river deity who touched your heart center so beautifully. It's time for him to jump back into the water before he dries out. (laughs) And it's time for us to come back into this time and place together. So take one more deep breath into your heart center, feeling the earth under you, feeling the love moving through you. And when you're ready, Open your eyes and feel the gratitude for the gift of this life. There's a lot of hardship. There's a lot of struggle that we've moved through. I know I have. I'm sure you have. But still, there's a gratitude that we can feel for the opportunity to experience. So thank you, both of you. Hollis and Bright Hawk for inviting me to share this time with you. I'm deeply humbled and grateful.
0: Thank you so much. What a sweet journey. I'm so glad you all got to experience oh, just what we can do in five minutes together. Yeah. yeah. So, so good. So good. So beautiful. And,
1: um, I want to recognize, uh, the seal. I assume I'm saying your name right there. It's okay. Whatever your language is, we'll do our best to understand you. Okay. My friend doesn't matter. We love you just the way you are. That's why you're here at rainbow soul. Cause we love you just the way you are. And Eve wants to tell you that that was a beautiful journey. So, um, thanks to the mysteries. <laughs> I <laughs> cricket I know you wrote something but something's not showing up so I just want to let you know cricket I'm just it's, it's coming up blank for some weird reason. Yeah. Um so anyway, I want to say thank you because I thought happy was uh, a great deity to bring in mm. and that they uh for me a little touch of the Nile, I actually like could imagine the water in my heart mm. and um that's really special for me. Uh, so, because I've been struggling with some hard things. So, and in that, um, I want to do a quick reading for everybody watching this show right now, for everybody that's part of the show and that everybody that is watching the replay of the show, regardless of how you come across this, if you're in this part of the show, you are meant to not only experience that journey, but to also receive a reading from the love is love whatever resonates with you, I encourage you to take it with you. And whatever doesn't, well, you could just leave it behind. That's the beauty of this. Yeah. And so I'm going to do a little reading from this uh, collaborative deck. Each piece of art is done by an LGBTQ artist. And this is a very special deck. Um, and I did, like, a past, present, future reading, just so you know. Um, in the past... Um, this talks about what we, this is the devil card. Okay. Which if you're familiar with Tarot next week, by the way, we're talking about Tarot with cricket and, um, and the devil card is all about our sins and, and even the things that, that tempt us that we know, you know, you shouldn't have another cookie Um, Or you shouldn't have another drink or that cigarette or whatever it is. (laughs) Um, Or go to bed with that person. Um, That's what this is a reminder of. And it's interesting because we just talked about this as well in the gifts of Ma'at, like being able to put that down. And even now, like kind of leaving stuff behind and letting things go. And so that's what this card is all about, especially in its placement in the past. It used to be it used to be part of who we are but it is no longer. And that's the devil card. And um, the current card um, which remind us of where we are today is this card which is the moon card, which is a beautiful mm-hmm. piece of art too right I gotta make sure I move it the right way, the mirror um, And the moon card is such a beautiful piece of art but this reminds us of our magic. The magic that we all have within us. Each one of us is magic in our own way And however we tap into that. Whether we go with the Egyptian pantheon or choose your own way. Or maybe you're a mixture of everything. Or maybe you're into something else. Whatever that is, this card is to remind you of your own magic that you carry with you today. And in the future, you may have some choices to make. I know many of us are having to make choices that feel really impactful, right? Like the vaccine and going to social events and there's all kinds of choices we're having to make. And this is about taking those choices seriously. This is an androgynous being that is both masculine and feminine to weigh both sides. And that's what the cards are telling us today. Not only... Were we tempted in the past? And maybe there were some things that we screwed up. And that's okay. To let that go because it's in the past. And to recognize your magic as it is today. Hold your magic. Hold the power of your magic in your hand like that goddess with her staff. And allow the moon or the magic of whatever entities you're working with to come through you and carry you into the world. And as you step into the future, be aware that you may have some choices to make and to take those choices seriously and to weigh both sides, to look at both sides before you choose. Choice is actually more important than you might think. So my friends, I hope that the reading does something for you or that the journey from our precious Indigo, um, and our discussion today with me and Hawk that you have enjoyed Rainbow Soul. We are grateful that you watched. Welcome. I'm so glad you made it, Sandy. It's okay that you were late. (laughs) It's okay. You can watch the replay. (laughs) Share it with your friends. Please share it on your page. Spread the word. Follow us on YouTube and Facebook and Just about anywhere you can watch a live broadcast. So, my friends, today we hail from Rainbow Soul. Remember, you are a perfect, imperfect reflection of the universe. And you are imperfectly perfect just the way you are. (laughs) Thank you for coming today, Indigo. Thank you.
2: Thank you for having me. Thank you so much.
0: Thank you for watching Rainbow Soul, a queer perspective on spirituality beyond religion. We appreciate you sharing the show on your timeline. Follow us on social media of your choice and join our Facebook group, Rainbow Soul. We want to hear from you. Share your topic ideas for Hollis and Lacrosse. Explore upcoming shows and interesting guests. The Rainbow Soul Facebook group where we build community of questioning seekers. Rainbow Soul, where spirituality is our medicine.